Thank you, band. It sounds like a, a very simple, passive question when my wife asked me this, but it is anything but passive. It is actually very active. When I come down the stairs and we're getting ready to go somewhere and she asks the question, are you wearing that? When she asks that question, it just sounds like a simple, passive yes or no question. But that's not what that means at all. That is not a passive question. It is a polite way of saying, you're not wearing that. And that is understood, and so I mosey right on back up the steps, and I will put on something that meets her approval. I I have found that you know, sometimes uh, she'll, she'll veto something. I've also found that sometimes I'll go downstairs and I'll say, does this look okay? And that way I feel like I've at least asked first, you know, where she can tell me yes or no, but I've at least taken the initiative. But the best way to know that I am dressed in attire that is appropriate for wherever we're going is for her just to pick out my clothes in the first place. That's the easiest and best way to make this work. Now, when we think about our spiritual life, the Lord tells us that there are things that we are to put down and put off and gives the picture of it being like like clothes that we put off of ourselves. And then there are clothes that we need to put on. As believers, this is the call of Colossians chapter 3 where we think from old to new, we're thinking we're taking off things and we're putting something on that is going to bring glory and honor to Christ as we live for him. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse number 5 and think about moving from old to new. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse number 5. It says, Therefore, Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, But Christ is all and is in all. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word. And I ask that you would take these next few moments and challenge us to take off and get rid of some things in our life and then put on this new man that you prescribed for us in life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. After dealing with doctrine for Colossians 1 and 2, especially dealing with the doctrine of Christ, who he is, how he is the centerpiece of salvation, how he is the center and to be the center of our life as creator, reconciler, 
Paul then, as he begins Colossians chapter 3, moves to an application section. Now that you know this about Jesus, now that you've firmed up in your belief about Jesus, now I want you to live this way. He begins verse number 1 and says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the world. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He says, look, you should have a whole different outlook and a whole different picture of life because of Jesus. If you have been raised with Christ, if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, you should be seeking new things and setting your mind on new things and not just living the old way. Then... He tells us in verse number five that there are some things that we need to put down and there are things that we need to put off and there is something that we need to put on. See, as believers, our relationship to sin is to be different than it was before we came to know Christ. At one time, he gives that picture of us in our sin. And now he says we have been raised with Christ. Just as Jesus died on the cross for our sin and we've received him into our life, we've been raised to a new life. You have a new life. And so what happens at that moment of salvation is that through the power of Christ, we are freed from the judgment of sin. That's called salvation. At the moment of salvation, Jesus pays the penalty. It goes back to the cross where Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin. Now, in our life right now, there is something, not just salvation, but there's something called sanctification. And that is God working in me through his word and through the Holy Spirit after I've come to know Jesus to make me more like Jesus. So that in my life, because of God's Holy Spirit and God's word working in me, I am being freed from the power of sin because of the power of Christ that is in me. The same power, Romans 8 tells us, that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. And as I tap into his power, I'm going to have power in Christ to say no to sin, no to ungodly lust, no to the things of the world, say yes to him and for him to shape me to look more like Jesus. So I am freed from the penalty of sin through salvation. I am being freed from the power of sin through sanctification. And one day I will be freed from the very presence of sin, that is glorification when I meet Jesus face to face. There is coming a day. We don't know when it is, when it's going to look like, what's going to happen. Maybe the Lord comes, maybe we go. But there is coming a day when we know as believers that we will be freed from the very presence of sin. Now, as we think of this, Paul has just made that plea in verse number four of Colossians three. He says, when Christ who is our life, appears, then we will also be with him in glory. He has appealed to say, hey, Jesus is coming. You better be ready. Jesus is coming. You better stay focused. Now, what we find in in the New Testament in many passages that remind us of the coming of Christ, there is also surrounding in that context a call to holiness. 
This happens in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he tells us in the early verses of, of verse, around verse number 3 that this is the will of God that we abstain from all immorality. And then in verse number 13, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about uh, those who have fallen asleep, but, but to know this, that one day Jesus is going to descend from heaven on a cloud, and, and those who are, are dead in Christ are going to rise, and then we who are alive are going to, are, are going to, to go and meet the Lord in the air. The picture is, is surrounding this coming of Christ, there is a call to holiness. The same thing in 1 John chapter 3, when it tells us that there's going to be a time when, when we'll be with him and see him as, as he is, and he tells us, whoever has this hope purifies himself. And Paul does the same thing here. He gives us this picture that Christ is going to appear, and then he challenges us and says, look, there are some things that you need to put down, you need to kill. There are some things that you need to put off. And there is a new Christ-centered life that you need to put on. I plead with you, with the truth that Jesus is coming, to heed to the words of Paul and be ready when he comes. So Paul challenges us. First off, he challenges us when it comes to that, that old man, to, to put off the things of the old man. Notice what he says down with me in verse number, number five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. We are to avoid this influence of the old man in our life. He says there are some things in your life that you need to put to death. I mean, this is like old yeller with rabies right here. I mean, you've just got to put it down, Okay. This is the picture that there are some things in your life that you need to kill, put down, hate. And first off, he says you need to put down sensual sins. You need to put down sensual sins. And notice he begins with the word fornication. The word fornication is a very broad word in the Greek. It is the word pornea. Pornea. Ring any bells? We think of pornography. But here, Paul is talking about any act of sexual intimacy beyond marriage. That could be premarital, extramarital, homosexuality. He says, it's all out of bounds. He said, look, you need to, to put to death sensual sins. This is where they came from. The Roman Empire was very pagan and very immoral and very loose. And now Paul says, look, you got to get rid of that old stuff in your life. And now you need to recognize, put this away from your life. He goes on. And not only does he talk about that act, pornea, but then he starts talking about our minds and our thought life. He says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness and passion and evil desire. These are all that thought process in our mind that moves us toward immoral thinking and the prevalence of, of pornography that is downloaded on phones and seen on computers and watched on TV. And can I tell you that it's not just outside in the world, but even the numbers within the church are quite staggering when it comes to what we allow into our life, into our heart, into our mind. And Paul says, you need to put this to death. Hate it, kill it. And then he tells us why. Notice what he says in verse number six. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon 
the sons of disobedience. He tells us that we need to put this stuff down. Why? Because it invites God's judgment. This is the kind of stuff in our world and in our culture that invites God's judgment. And that's what he says, that the the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment of God is going to be released upon those who have their lives filled with this stuff as their sons of disobedience. Now, he's talking about the lost world. And if there's ever a message for the lost world, I I think it was Billy Graham who said during his, his life that if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the truth of the, the, the issue is, is that we have to understand that sin is going to bring God's judgment. And he tells us here that it's very clear, and it is very clear. Now, there's two types of God's judgment. First off, there is passive judgment of God. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So how is that wrath revealed? Well, in verse number 24, in verse number 26, it tells us that God took those sinful people who turned from glorying God and knew God and instead turned to their own lustful thoughts and their passions. And he said, God just gave them up to their vile passions. That's what he says in verse number 26. God just said, look, if, if you want to live your life and, and, and immorally and, and filled with pornography and filled with the, 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 the dirt of the world, then I'm just going to take my hands off of you and I'm going to let you reap what you sow. And then in verse number 28, he says, and God gave them over to a debased mind. The picture is, is God just says, I'm backing up. You, you can live your own life, and you can experience your own circumstances, but I can tell you that sin is going to cost you a whole lot more than you thought it was going to. That's passive judgment. God just takes his hand off. But then there is active judgment. And the active judgment of God is, is, is seen clearly in Scripture. And I think maybe one day when we get to heaven, we'll be able to look back and say, yeah, God did this or God did this. In our lifetime, we've not been able to discern everything. But we know that... In Genesis chapter 6, God sent a flood. We know that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were active uh, moments where God laid out his judgment upon sin. So there's active judgment, and then there's passive judgment. But, but he is writing to believers, and he's referring this wrath coming to the sons of disobedience. But what about those of us who know Jesus, but we're wrapped up in verse number five? What about those of us who call on the name of the Lord, and we know that we're saved, but we still have our mind wrapped up with all of this, this, this old man, old life world, all of these fleshly lusts of the past? Well, can I tell you? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 6 makes it very clear. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Remember David? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, as he looked down upon Bathsheba, and then he, he inquired and he asked this question, who is she? I find it a very interesting question because they reply, she is the daughter of Eliam and she is the wife of Uriah. Did you know that David had 37 mighty men that were around him? I mean, these were his elite, elite men. Do you think he would have known these 37 men by name? Do you think he would have been in close contact with these 37 men? Can I tell you, Eliam, Bathsheba's father, and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, were both mighty men. 
I don't think when David asked, who is she? I, I think he already knew. I think he tried to play innocent and dumb. Matter of fact, if you look at Bathsheba's grandpa, his name is Ahithophel. This was one of David's close counselors. Now, do you think that grandpa Ahithophel would have just strutted in thinking, man, look at my baby today when Bathsheba was born? Do you think that Eliam ever brought his little daughter around King David? That makes this sin even more heinous to me. But the truth is, is David has an immoral relationship with her, with her. And can I tell you, not only does the baby die, but after that, David's whole life falls apart. He has a son who rapes his stepsister. And then the other son takes up for the stepsister and kills his, bro- his stepbrother. And then David's, one of David's sons tries to rebel against David. David's whole life is shifted and changed because of immorality. And though he was a man after God's own heart, David's life and family was a complete mess up. What about Samson? Samson was one of the judges, one of God's men. And we remembered Samson and Delilah. But you know, Samson, when he was a young man, walked into the area of the Philistines and told his parents, I want that Philistine woman. He already had his guard down. Chuck Swindoll calls him a he-man with a she-weakness. And not only does he have an affair with this Philistine woman, then he goes to see a prostitute in the area of Gaza, and then he gets with Delilah. And what happens? When you think of Samson, you often think of strength, but you think of destruction, The man ruined his life. And so Paul is now telling us in the New Testament, look, you need to put this this senseless sensuality to death or it will kill you. Sin is going to bring God's judgment. But then sin also just brings up that old life. That's what he says in verse number, number seven. You're just fishing up that old life. Look, you're new. You've been raised with Christ. You're alive in Christ. You've been forgiven by Christ. Don't go back up and fish up your past. Press on, move forward. Forget those things which are behind you. Recognize that the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us. That's the picture. Put to death sensual sins. Then he not only tells us to put to death sensual sins, but he tells us to put off social sins. Notice what he says in in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all of these. Notice at the end of verse number 9, he repeats this again. Put off the old man. But notice in verse number 8, that you are to put off, put off. Uh, off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Put it out of your mouth. The first word, anger, gives a picture of a, of a, of a heart filled with this smoldering resentment and bitterness. Do you know any angry people? I mean, people that are just smoldering with this sense of anger and resentment and bitterness in their life. Are you angry? Do you have bitterness in your life? You think, well, it's not hurting anybody. I beg to differ with you. 
Because Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 15 tells us that this root of bitterness in our life will rise up and defile many. Do you think children are affected by an angry parent? Do you think a spouse is affected by an angry partner in marriage? Do you think parents are affected by angry children? Yes. And so he says, look, you need to put this off. And often the way this anger begins then to, to show itself is, is through malice. That's that picture of, of kind of blowing up and, and losing your top. It's hot-headedness. And then he goes on to talk about blasphemy. That's, that's a desire to tear people down and hurt them. And filthy language and lying. That's misrepresenting the truth again in order for you to look good or save face and for you to, to hurt others. It's misrepresenting the truth. But you know, not always are lies just like full-out, full-blown lies. Sometimes people can drop innuendos or exaggerate. And as they do that, they're misrepresenting the truth. And Scripture makes it very clear. We're to take that off. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2 tells us God does not lie. But John eight forty four tells us that the devil is the father of all liars. Take it off. If you're dealing with lying in your life, if you're dealing with anger in your life, put it off. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you've been through. But I will tell you on the authority of Scripture, the Bible commands us and challenges us to take this junk off. It will destroy your life and it will destroy your relationships, and it will hurt your witness in front of the world. Put off social sins. Put it down. and Put it off. Have you ever in July or August been outside and maybe you're cutting the grass or working in the garden or maybe you just uh, decided you were going to go, you know, exercise and play tennis when it's 100 degrees on that asphalt out there and, and, and you come in and your clothes are just wringing wet and they're sticking to you and they're smelly and they're nasty or if you've been weed eating, your, your whole your pants are just filled with grass run from the weed eater and the lawnmower and, and, and Paul says, put it off. Leave it. Jump in the shower of God's grace and put on the new man. And that's exactly what he tells us to do. Notice with me back in verse number 10. He says in verse number 10, and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Put on the new Christ-centered man. This Christ-centered man. We're getting rid of, man, we're putting stuff down. We're putting stuff off. And now he tells us, look, this is what you're not supposed to wear, but now let me tell you what you are supposed to wear and look like. And we'll talk more about that into next week. But he tells us to put on this new Christ-centered man. And then it's interesting because he, notice that word new with me in verse number 10. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. Notice how he uses the word 
new man, put on the new man, this happens at salvation. This is a one-time experience. That at the moment you are saved, it's like all of that filthiness of your life is dropped off and you walk in and now you stand before God clean and you stand with the righteousness of Jesus placed on your account. And now he says, I'm going to dress you in the robes of righteousness. Jesus says, I'm going to count you as righteous because of who I am and what I have done. And and, and as that happens, you're the new man. But then he uses that word renewed. We're to put on the new man and we're to be consistently being renewed. This is an ongoing occurrence. Second Corinthians, Romans chapter 12 and verse number two puts it this way. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is this. That word transformed is the the Greek word from which we get metamorphosis. Just as that caterpillar goes into the cocoon and comes out a butterfly, the picture is, is that in our life we have become a new man and now as we get into God's word that we now rise up with the beauty of Christ's character showing through our life. What a picture it is. Put on the new man. So he tells us and deals with us first as individuals. Notice what he says in verse number 10. Again, he's dealing with us on an individual level. That the individual believer is to recognize their position in Christ. We see that individual believer, their their position. We are a new man and we are to be being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who made us. But then... He gives not only the picture of who we are individually, but then he gives a picture of our corporate identity as well. Notice what he says. He says that we've been, been renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in and all. The corporate body and their unity in Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. In Christ, you come to know him. You become a new man. And now you are to be being renewed in your mind. And recognize that the God who made you wants you to shine forth and bring glory to his image through the image bearer that he created you to be. Do you realize that you are an image bearer of the almighty God of the universe? And as an image bearer, we are to represent our creator and savior, the Lord Jesus, well. Then he sums it up and says, church at Colossae, you've got a whole diverse group of members. Some of you are Jews and some of you are Gentiles. Some of you have been circumcised, some of you haven't been circumcised. Some of you are saved out of these, uh, out of being an uneducated, uncouth barbarian. And some of you are even slaves and some of you are free. But this is what he says. Corporately, you are all 
in Christ. You are one family. In the book of Colossians, as Paul begins, and he does his introduction, do you remember what he calls this group of believers in verses 1 and 2? Paul, the apostle, he says he's writing to those saints and faithful brethren. Paul would take this diverse group and say, some of them come from different ethnic backgrounds. Some are are Jews and some are Gentiles. But Jesus is Lord of all. Some of them come from different religious traditions. They're circumcised or uncircumcised. But Jesus is over all. Some of them were, were on the outskirts And they were uneducated and uncouth. They were barbarians and Scythians. But Jesus is over them all. And and, and some of them were slave and some were free. But Jesus is over them all. You're all part of one family. Bearing God's image together in great unity. And isn't it amazing today how our world wants to divide Ethnically, we don't like these people. They don't like these people. We don't like these people. They, they look different than us. Religiously, oh, yeah, they, yeah. We don't like that background they came from. They might be in our church now, but, you know, I, I, I grew up this way. Oh, they grew up where? And they went to what schools? Pfft, barbarians. And they're not near as smart as I am. Socioeconomically, they don't have as much as I do. Or maybe it's those that are poor saying, we hate the one percenters. The picture is, is that our world is filled with division today. But Paul is pleading with the church and saying, look, Christ is all in in all. There are no barriers in ethnic backgrounds. There are no barriers with religious tradition. There are no barriers from from cultural heritage. There are no barriers that are socioeconomically that in Christ they cannot be bridged as a family comes together under Jesus as our Lord, under God the Father as Father of all. That's the picture. So remember, that person that down the street that puts that other political party up, sign up in their grass. And that guy down the road who's always ranting about this political thing that you disagree with. They were created in the image of God too. And because they were created in the image of God, We need to show them respect. Do we speak the truth in love? Absolutely. Do we water down our message to please everybody? Never. But let's let the offense be the cross. Let's let Jesus as the exclusive way, truth, and life be that area where they stumble, not because of our personal partiality or prejudice. James dealt with this in the early church In James chapter 2, he says, My brethren, 
Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with, I love the way the old King James says it, with respect of persons, with partiality. He says, for if there comes into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there comes in also a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the, the, the man with the rings and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, he says? And then down in James chapter 2 in verse number 8, he says this. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now that's what God says. So we have to be careful. And we recognize our corporate unity in Christ. And we recognize the universal image bearing that all humanity is before him. And understand and recognize God can take care of the scoffers and the mockers. None of them are too big for him. When I was a child, I... Uh, I shared a bedroom with my two brothers. There were six of us kids in nine years. And so our bedroom had a, a bunk bed, and then underneath the bottom bunk bed, it had a trundle bed that would, we'd pull out and pop up. And once you got the trundle bed up, you know, the bunk beds and the trundle bed, there was about that much room to walk, and then we had three small chests for me and my brother Lee and my brother Dale and I. And because of that, uh, my mom had to take our summer clothes in the wintertime and put them in a bag and they went downstairs and then our winter clothes in the summertime would go downstairs and then there was always that dreaded day. It was half dreaded because boys hate trying on clothes. I don't know if that's every boy in the world, but the ones at my house have taken after me well on that. We hate trying on clothes. But on that day when my mom would bring up the winter clothes or the summer clothes and we'd try things on, in some ways, it was a little bit entertaining. You'd throw that flannel shirt on, you know, and it was up to there now, and you could say, man, I've really grown. That's great. Or you'd find that favorite T-shirt that you had, and, and you could put that back on and have it back in your drawer. Can I tell you today, the Lord's telling you, burn them all. Leave them all. Don't go down and dig any of those old clothes up. Instead, I've got new clothes. Let your mind be renewed in me. And let me dress you so that my love will shine and my light will show through your life. Be renewed. Be awakened. Because Christ is all and in all. I gave a big list on how he's our God and creator and sustainer. That's who he is. That's who he is to us. And because he is that to us, we can look at our brothers and sisters in this room and say, you may not act like me, look like me, do the same things I do, enjoy the same things, but I love you in Christ because we're his.